Thank you very much, Leonard and Hisham, for inviting us, and um, my co-host, Iman Abdullah, over here. I'm Shimon Warden. Um, this is the TNDP podcast. Technically, we are a, a Iman, what would you classify us as a business comedy? Uh, we are technically a nonsense podcast. No, <laughs> uh, we, um, it's, it's mostly business, but so just a lot of tomfoolery going on as well, yeah. just to keep it interesting, I guess, yeah. you know? Well, we found it in, in the space that there weren't a lot of interviews talking to entrepreneurs and black investors in a relaxed setting. You got guys on CNBC or Bloomberg or local television, and it's all, you know, well manicured or low quality, and it's rushed. And you don't really get to listen to their story and go throughout the diaspora. So we said... Man came up with the idea of, hey, there's so many people with this need. Let's us be that voice. And we found that people started listening. And now, uh, as of a few days ago or last week, we were in 56 countries. Is that right? It stops counting at 55. So okay. Yeah. We're global. All right. <laughs> international. And international. And um, Leonard and Hisham, I would like everyone to give it up because they have hundreds of thousands of uh, uh, businesses and entrepreneurs in their uh, PAN network. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. And that shows that there's a thirst there that is not being met across the African diaspora, be you African, African-American, West Indian, Latino, Colum- you know, whatever it is, we are not being brought cohesive here, and we're, we're glad to be part of that discussion. Um, and to further elaborate on what Shaman said, so when I started this podcast, I felt that specifically black men were not represented well in the media, like not at all. So whenever you see black men on TV, it's usually like comic relief or some guy just saying something dumb or something hood, trying to be hood or something like that. And that's where I wanted to show the other side of our, you know, just our regular humanity, who we are as regular people. Uh, we, we are also family men. We have, I have, I'm married, he's married. We got a hundred kids between us probably. Uh, <laughs> all, from, all from our wives. Um, and they don't show the business side of what we do to maintain, to protect our families, maintain our families and all that stuff. So I wanted to show that side yeah we get dumb and we talk about transformers and football or whatever but i also wanted to show the other side now shaman and i are also students here as well we're also learning how to do business so we're also entrepreneurs in boston and we have uh reasonably successful businesses uh but these gentlemen here are also helping us to learn how do we get into the business markets in africa because we've, we've interviewed many people on our show and they talk about how there's so many untapped markets in Africa, literally almost any anything you could think of in Africa, it's either substandard or being taken advantage of by people who are not African. And so we wanted to know, since we since we talk about business all the time, how do we uh, take advantage of that? We are Black American people, and we have so little knowledge about what is happening in Africa. In fact, many of us, maybe some people even in this room, are actually scared to go back to Africa because we can think we're going to get Ebola or something else you know and it's really not as bad i mean there are some realities to it but it's not what people are making it out to be in the news so this is we're also learning alongside you about what to do how to do it and what it takes to make it happen um anything you want to elaborate on that um so i've had the, the great privilege to listen to everyone on this panel and talk to some of you in the audience from before and there's such a wealth of knowledge we don't need permission from other people to say we know what we're talking about. We need to give permission to ourselves to listen to each other, to educate each other, and to share. 
We don't have to be the special goldfish or the kid with the gold star. That's not how you do global business. You build deep partnerships and learn from each other and do business with each other. And I'm very excited because I've had the great, I, I'm, Y'all don't know. I've heard, listened to so many of these stories. Y'all got to hear these stories. And they, they help and encourage you. And I also want to reach out to you for you to share your stories. Because that's how we will get beyond the, the nonsense. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of nonsense out there. So anyway, I think we need to do an official introduction to our podcast. Because uh, we have to do the whole welcome to the podcast thing. <laughs> you guys are already here, but people at home listening, uh, they don't know what's going on. So, um, You know I'm not your wife, right? That was a, that was a feminine. He is, the, he is the Bruce Banner to my Stony, Tony Stark. My uh, to the people in the audience, I call myself Iron Man Abdullah just because I he read it. way too many comics. As I a really kid. did. I really did. So, um, and I also don't want people stalking me and stuff with my real name, Shaman Warden. Uh, he is his. He is also known as the Biz. I think I'm, he wanted to be called the Clutch or something. I'm, I'm like trying that. to switch it over to the Clutch. I don't know. I'm not I don't think that. he's catching on though. I'm not feeling that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, and we have a few guests with us here today. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, I have John Montero. Are you going to be on the podcast? Are you going to join us today? Absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to need you on a mic. You guys are going to have to share this mic here. Yeah, we'll oh, no, you know, All right, you know, I got John Montero here. I've never met you, sir. My name is Iron Man Abdullah. Nice Thank you. you. Nice to meet you. I have Christopher Jackson here. Uh, he was uh, one of our favorite podcasts. Um, uh, podcast number 32, I think it was. Uh, doing business in Africa number two. He told us a lot about Liberia. If you want like to just say hello to the to the crowd here. Hello everyone. All right. Hashim Siraji. I have Hashim Siraji here. Uh, Shimon, can you take it from down there with the? Yeah, uh, we got two mics over here. So all right, there we go. Hi, I'm Curtis Jones. Thank you for being there. Curtis Jones, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Hello, Gabriel. Gabriel, I'm sorry. What was your name? Gabriel. Gabriel. Yes. No last name. It's up to you. No worries. I can't give you my government yet. Understood. Okay. <laughs> uh, we got Gabriel. Gabriel Carter. Sorry. Gabriel Carter. There we go. Thank you for joining us. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, right. introduction. So my name is Shimon. Can you hear me? Everyone's good? All right. My name is Shimon Warden. Uh, I do Grove Capital, which is a nice way of saying I help businesses get money, prepare to get money, and create the strategies around that. What I've noticed, and uh, many of our, us here have been in that space, is that investors see the world a particular way right and if you as an entrepreneur not presenting your story in a way that resonates to the investor that you're talking to that's not going to go well for you and you also got to know who's a good investor for you so that's one of the things that i do i came from my backgrounds in uh, engineering and in the military i did that i've worked i've run a couple of nonprofits on a, a variety of nonprofits boards and i wanted to bring the different parts of myself together I'm Muslim, I'm a West Indian, I'm an American, I'm from Boston, 
I've been around the world and I've done some business, I've done some projects, and I was in all these different places because people were telling me, you need to have all the, these things can't be together, but like, they're me, they're who I am. How do I bring that reality together? And I found that that was resonating with a lot of different people, and I'm excited to, to, to interact and do business with those people. Hello. Uh, can you guys I, hear him? Okay. Can, you, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah? All right. So I don't know if I can actually tell what he does. Um, you know, hats off to you. Uh, my name is Gabriel Carter. Uh, as I said earlier, I work in banking. As I usually tell people, banking is a very interesting field. Um, you know, when you're on the outside looking at it, you think it's just, you know, these guys in suits that just go in and figure things out. Uh, it's very interesting in a way that, you know, if you're on the outside looking in, you know, as somebody who's just starting a business, mm-hmm. want to get a banking loan, you think we'll just, you just put in an application and, you know, we just wave a magic wand and things happen. It doesn't work like that, you know. And the reason why I think it's interesting is because I think it was Mark Twain who actually said that a banker is a fellow who lends you his umbrella when the sun is shining, but he asks for it when it, when it starts raining. And that's exactly who we are, right? So if before you go into a bank to apply for a loan, you have to know what your business is, you know, what your target market is, you know, um, and pretty much those are the things that I have for experience. I started out in banking and uh, working with small businesses as well uh, from, you know, revenue from 50,000 to 5 million. Uh, I had about 200 businesses in my portfolio. You know, and working with those small businesses, there's a lot of things you see that, you know, this, you know, people like yourself who are just starting businesses don't actually seize because you're so in the grind of it. And th- those three things are actually what I call the, uh, the three-legged stool, right? So you talk about the financing, right? The, uh, the sales, and then you got the operation, right? And if you're running a business, you have to be able to understand those three pieces. You don't, you don't really need uh, what I call, you know, an expert. You don't have to be an expert in those areas, but you have, you need a gross, what I call a gross knowledge, just a little bit of understanding in each area. That way, if you, let's say you sit with your CFO, you know what you're talking about. You sit with your salesperson, you, did, you know what they're talking about. If you go in the back office, you know how operations are running. And those are the things that I see that most small businesses struggle with, you know. Um, and as I said, I work in Small, I work with small businesses, went on from there, went into credit, and now I'm actually in reg- on the regulatory side, you know, so that's basically helping, uh, you know, consumer, you know, making sure that you're not being cheated, right? So I think you guys hear uh, Elizabeth Warren throw, you know, Honda around a lot, right? Just to make sure that, you know, the average person out there isn't being cheated. You know, we do regulations, what are ECOA, uh, fair credit reporting, and, and all the other regulations. Um, so that's pretty much my experience. And um, uh, coming into this group of people, uh, I think what I'm actually trying to do on a bigger level is to help people like yourself starting businesses understand the financing piece of it, whether it's strategy, uh, you know, you look at competitive strategies and every other thing else that involves in running the business and looking at the financing piece, you know, just to make sure that, you know, if you need help, we're here to help you out. You know, we just want to be your, you know, what I call cheerleaders. We want to be cheering you on and making sure that you're doing the right things out there. Thank you. Good evening again. Um, my name is Curtis, Curtis Jones. 
My company is Global Green Link Energy, and I have a company, Global Green Link Energy Africa, Global Green Link Energy Trinidad and Tobago. Um, our company is specialty in waste energy, infrastructure, and housing are our main areas. Um, we also are in support of ICT. The reason that we've approached our company and um, the continent and everywhere we're dealing is because there's such a gap in services. When we go to different countries, um, as you saw in the video um, previously, the number of people without medical care, one, in one person to 20,000 doctors, that's absolutely crazy. Uh, you have communities in, in Kenya and in Africa, there's 640 million people without electricity. How do, you how do you survive? How do you move? How do you take care of yourselves in your homes? So there is a lot of new growth taking place in the continent. Our effort is to uh, harness that growth and to allow for us as an institution to be able to identify individuals like yourselves, individuals who want uh, entrepreneurial opportunity but don't know how to go about it and need a trusted partner because it is a challenge. We've been in, on the continent for five years. Um, we've met with governors and presidents and ministers and as you meet individuals, um, you must know the culture in order to compete and survive in this, in this marketplace. Um, as you heard Leonard speak earlier about the, um, the availability of certain kind of minerals, um, those are big deals. Those are big deals, and they're, they're, they're multilateral deals. And for us, as you've just heard uh, Gabriel talk about, how do you get it from a bank? Banks in America are not lending to Africa. Um, so you must identify banks and institutions and partners that are going to support you. So uh, I look forward to this conversation. Uh, I'll leave it there and um, move on. But um, we can also talk once the uh, podcast is finished. And I thank you for, for being here, and I look forward to meeting you individually. Thank you, Carol. <clears throat> uh, so my name is Hashim, Hashim Siraji, and uh, I'm not as established as uh, these gentlemen that I'm joining the stage with, but I, I really wanted to thank you know, Leonard uh, Shitenge for inviting me Leonard and I have been working together for, uh, I would say, since uh, probably 16, 15, 2015. Uh, so we created this nonprofit organization together called the Progressive African Network, and previously we were working together in another organization. I'm originally from Somalia. You know, I came here to the United States uh, when I was very young, came, uh, ran away from civil war, uh, didn't want to come here. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a reality that we had to face. Growing up here in Boston and in Ohio as well, I became an entrepreneur in around 2011-2013, way, way before, you know, the word entrepreneur, uh, even 2008, way before the word entrepreneur became so relevant throughout, uh, throughout the world now, if you want to say. And what I do is I'm in the technology, so I'm a technology entrepreneur. I do startups, tech startup stuff. I'm working on one right now, and I would like to uh, share with you guys later on my technology startup. And some of the other things that I do is like, I'm a web developer, web designer. Uh, I do programming, I do coding, those kind of simple things. But most importantly, the thing that I love the most is I do community organizing. So I've been doing community organizing for the past 10 years now. 
with the Somalian community, uh, with the African community, with the Muslim community, uh, uh, and so on and so forth with the Progressive African Network. So part of the things that I, that I noticed is that, is that it's always male dominant. You can see the stage right here. Right here, you can see. Yeah. The next meeting, and I'm gonna challenge Leonard right now, we need to have females on the stage. You, you know? Uh, please don't bang the table, baby. Sorry. Sorry about that. Um, look at the audience. You know? Look at the audience. Yeah. So, and another thing that I wanted to uh, say is like, I love, is I love Africa, you know, and a lot of people give me a lot of slack for it, but why are you an entrepreneur? Why are you trying to help out Africa? Why don't you get a real job? A lot of those things you face as, a, as an entrepreneur. Um, I do, I am very, I'm very talented, very skilled. I, I could get a real job, but I, this is my passion. You know, this is my, this is my love. This is my, in my work to help out Africa. So um, over the past couple of years, we've been interacting with uh, using social media with entrepreneurs in Africa. And so far, we built this group uh, called Black Entrepreneurs in South Africa. And now it's grown to from, from 300 members to 180,000 members. So we're trying to elaborate and help them out. There's so many challenges, so many things. Some of the challenges that, that we wrote on the floor, they face those same challenges over there as well. And government is not there for them. Big corporations are not there for them. People with a lot, uh, deep pockets are not there for them. So that's, my, that's, that's gonna be what my startup will be about uh, coming soon. So I'm gonna pass over the mic and you'll see this very well-established gentleman right next to me. Chris Jackson. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Yep. My name is Christopher Jackson. I'm originally from Liberia, West Africa. I grew up in um, Liberia during the eras of uh, colonialism and the Cold War. I'm a former intelligence analyst, I'm a social activist, and an entrepreneur focused on economic empowerment. I would like to, well, let me say this, I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge Hashim and Leonard for the far-sightedness, for the passion that they have to promote the continent of Africa in of all places, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, which is a challenge because I have been in the trenches during the former administration of uh, Governor Duval Patrick. We were very active. Mr. Motero here, Mr. Curtis, they are all my colleagues. And our focus have always been trying to get people to take a look at Africa seriously. Africa is the economic frontier of the 21st century. Yeah. Whether they want to accept it or not, it is the fact. Does anyone in this room knows why Africa is shaped like a question mark? I don't know. <laughs> okay. The answer is? Africa is the economic frontier of the 21st century. That's why you have China going there, that's where you have Japan, okay? So, as I look at the audience, I could be wrong, but I see most of the young female, I would classify you all as millennials. Am I right or wrong? 
Yes. So it means that you all have the best of both worlds. Therefore, you have no limitations. You are not powerless. You should be very excited that Africa is what it is at this time. However, we need to get involved. I don't listen to CNN. I don't listen to Fox News. I don't listen to MSNBC, BBC, to some extent. But I go to the source to get my information. And they tell me what is going on in Africa right now. So when I engage anyone, whether it's a Caucasian or someone of Asian descent, and they say, oh, well, Africa is this, Africa is that. But China is in Africa. Japan is in Africa. India is in Africa. Russia is in Africa. Turkey. Turkey is in Africa. Okay. Recently, yeah, recently, Mr. Trump's administration gave African leaders an ultimatum for them to make a decision whether they're going to do business with the United States, China, or Russia. Hmm. African leaders are in the best position. African leaders today, unlike the predecessor, are in a better position to negotiate in good faith on behalf of the citizens. Okay? So, where these three gentlemen are, are right now, we're about access and implementation. That's where we are. We have been the sacrificial lambs. We have spent thousands of dollars going back and forth, trying to close deals. And we are at the juncture right now where we are negotiating multi-million dollars deals with three African countries' government. But our challenge has been trying to get financial institutions here on board. Why? Because of the pigmentation of our skin. Okay? The pigmentation of our skin. So we have to create our own economic um, breakthrough. And, and, and Mr. Carter here is going to talk about creating an African diaspora fund, which we're already working towards. Okay? So I am so excited. I am passionate when it comes to Africa because I know that's where the opportunities are, and no one can tell me otherwise. Thank you. If I may interject, it's, al it's almost like, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, just give me one second. It's almost like all those countries that you mentioned aren't scared of Ebola or malaria or the CC flies or the dust. They're just going down there and they're making business happen. Man, what am I doing? I don't know. Eric, go ahead. Good evening. Good evening. <clears throat> My name is Juan. Rodriguez Montero. Nice. That's my birth name. They call me John. Happy birthday. <laughs> they call me John in the United States. I was born in Cape Verde. I came here as a child. I was educated in Situate, Massachusetts. I went to Tufts University. I got a Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering in four years. I also minored in, in manufacturing. When I got out of school, and I won't tell you what year. When I got out of school, there were no jobs in civil engineering, and I went to Texas Instruments, and I got a job with them. It's the only job I ever applied for in my life that I was successful in getting. After four years at Texas Instruments, I became a hot rod, a hot shot. I, my job was to solve problems, uh, reduce costs, and make production move 
quickly. We made four million parts a month, so when something went wrong, I had to get on it. I had a, 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 a passion for fixing things, finding problems, and making sure that once I fixed them, they'd never go back to what they were. After four years uh, at Texas Instruments, I decided as an entrepreneur, I wanted to go on my own and work for myself, which I've done ever since then. I've applied for other jobs, but just to see where I would go, nobody would hire me. But that's all right, I hired myself. Um, I had one of the, I was one of the engineering companies that built the big dig. I also was very involved in building the Boston Harbor Cleanup Project. And that's where I got my passion for the environment. I'm an environmental engineer, and I decided that I wanted to do more about global warming, which really does exist. I want to do more about the pollution uh, worldwide, not just in the United States. In 2008, I decided to do a career change. I closed my business in the United States. I had 100, people, 100 engineers working for me. I closed my business in the United States to devote full time to Africa. I took all my money, I took my pension, I took all my security, I took everything I had, and ever since then, I've been traveling back, back and forth to Africa. I've had 40 trips that I've made. Trips go anywhere from a week to three weeks. I typically don't like going long in that because I have so much going on here. I've been to Cape Verde, Angola, Liberia, Sierra Leone, Ghana, and those are the ones that I'm trying to do business in. Um, I've been to others, but I left as quickly as I got there. Um, my partners are in Gabon. They've been in both Guineas, they've Kenya, all these different places. So I'm a part of a group of about 30 different people. Uh, most of us are engineers, some of them are, are business development people, some are just uh, people that just have an interest in construction. Um, my focus is all over the place, to be honest with you, but my focus is trying to create jobs, training, and trying to help any community that we want to work in. Uh, we focus on global waste energy, which is the name of my business, which I met, forgot to say. Um, I'm a lot like, like uh, Curtis over there, do a lot of the same things he does. In fact, we work together in some cases. Uh, so we're not, even though we're doing the same thing, we're not, you know, we're not enemies or anything like that. I've also was a big part of bringing the Cape Verde Fast Ferry into re realization. Uh, we actually can produce food in one island, sell it the next day in, on, on another island. Uh, we transport thousands of people a week. We transport uh, trucks, everything else. Believe it or not, 10 years ago, it would take 10 hours, 12 hours to travel from one island to the other. We now can do it in three, three hours. Um, I'm also involved in Cape Verde and, and waste management, uh, waste energy, and also working with people trying to build hotels. Um, and most of the other countries, I focus on waste energy or sugarcane processing, which is something Chris and I have been 
working on it for quite a while, trying to bring it to Liberia. And we have a unique process that we can take sugar cane, not only produce sugar, we can produce flour, we can produce ethanol, we can produce uh, wax, we can produce fingernail polish, we can produce um, plywood, sheetrock. Uh, uh, sheet I mean, we produce everything with it. We use the entire process. The reason why I focus on that is, again, most of what we do is we want to help the environment by reusing the minerals that are naturally there, not creating a lot of waste, processing the waste, producing electricity. That's how you save the environment. That's how you save the ozone layer. So with that, I'll stop. Um, I just wanted to be a little bit as passionate like Chris, but I couldn't quite do it. But um, that's who I am. Thank you, thank you. May, may I ask something? Okay. Most of the projects that Curtis, John, and I are working on, these are all industrialized projects. We want to create industries that will produce from the natural resources products that can be used locally and exported. Because Africa does not have a lot of industry. Most of the stuff are being imported. We want to stop that. I, I want to say one thing too, as he mentioned that. In Liberia, the project we're proposing for waste to energy, we're going to produce electricity less than what they produce it for now. And we're going to solve health issues. We're going to solve waste issues. We're going to solve job issues. There's so many different things we're going to do there. And it all benefits the local people. The other benefit to it, for those who are in America, we produce the products and the materials in the United States, Canada, or Germany. So we create jobs not only in Africa, which is our focus, but we create it in these other countries as well. Um, fantastic. It's great to hear from everyone. You didn't hear from everyone. me. Huh? You didn't hear from me. Hey, man, you got to hear from me, man. I, I took you for granted, brother. I'm apologize. Uh, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't yell into the microphone. That'd be wonderful. I, I don't um, have the headphones on. <laughs> I know it's killing my ears. Um, man, you guys are all impressive. I am not nearly uh, on the level of the credentials of these fine gentlemen. Um, I am a cashier at Dollar Tree. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just playing. No. I'm just playing. Nothing no, I'm not. I, nothing wrong. With, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I feel. Uh, I feel like I'm. I'm sitting among giants here. So I am. Um, I don't have any of the credentials these, these fine gentlemen have. I am just a person who has, um, I am, uh, if you were to look at my education, it is uh, lackluster. Uh, I think I probably have a GED on there somewhere. Um, I just never liked school. However, I read a lot and I never wanted to be on the front lines like serving burgers or anything like that. And I am the son of a strong black woman who raised me and she, you know, I started my first business when I was like, eight or nine or something. I remember going down to City Hall and uh, it was just basically selling uh, like snacks out of my house to kids. <laughs> it was really unimpressive, but um, that's how I paid for my first bike and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, I have also had a ton of uh, service jobs and management jobs and I have an executive jobs. Um, Yes, those jobs do require college degrees and stuff. I just sort of fudged the resume, made it look right. You know, it's all about the interview. I'm just saying, it's all about the interview. 
Uh, if you can get through the interview with a lot of confidence and you act like you know what you're talking about, they don't check the, you know, they like, they like your vibe, so you get in. Um, fast forward to today, uh, I have a construction project management company. I do a uh, little property management. Um, I have personal assistance services. I'm also a mobile notary. Uh, I keep looking at my phone because I have people trying to reach out to me all the time and I have to stay on top of things. Um, if I have one specialty, my specialty is probably management. Uh, I, I've, I've been in management for ever. Like I've never, you know, like I said, I, I never wanted to be the guy who's taking orders. I always wanted to be the guy who's on top of that. Mostly because, to be honest with you, I'm really lazy. I don't like to be running around and doing a whole bunch of stuff. I, when I was in my youth, I used to actually work in construction. That's extremely hard work. It really, really is. It's very, very hard work. I still have scars on my hand from welders and cutting things. I've seen people chop fingers off. So I don't, I don't like working that hard. I like to use my brain. And the best way to use your brain is in management. And then the next step up from that, if you don't just stay in management, is you got, you got to own your own company at some point. And America, regardless of what anyone says, America, if you want to really make it into in America, and I learned this very young, you're not going to make There's no dope job that's so dope you're just going to be a millionaire unless you're like an actor or a sports, uh, somebody in sports or something like that. But that's really, really a, a one, not even the 1% of the 1%, less than that. If you're really going to make it in America, you have to start your own business. That's the way America is geared. It's geared to serve businesses. There's a reason why corporations are, are regarded as people. I, I think that's crazy, but that's just what it is, you know. Um, and so learning that early on, I decided to re-educate myself as much as possible on business so that when I went into these meetings pretending to have college degrees and things like that, they wouldn't be none the wiser. Um, and it worked, mostly. I mean, that's just reality. It is what it is. Um, so my, my background is not terribly uh, as interesting as these guys. These guys are uh, doing a whole lot. They got MBAs and all this stuff. I mean, I'm just a guy that just has businesses and I you know, take care of my kids and my wife and we are right. So I apologize for not being as interesting as they are. Um, but he had the vision for this. And oh yeah, and I started this podcast. If you look, if you go on the iTunes, you look up uh, the Not Dumb podcast, uh, that's my baby picture. That's the only picture I could think of that wasn't copyrighted or something like that. So, you, know, you know, so what we're going to do to get the dialogue, because y'all did all that great uh, icebreaker, is we're going to ask questions. Um, Leonard's going to go out there with the mic. You ask your question. We'll repeat it so people on the podcast can hear it later, and we'll trigger a dialogue amongst each other. There sounds we go. good? That sounds awesome. I'd like to answer that. Um, I've started uh, about eight businesses. I've also started joint ventures with other businesses. And primarily what, what I focused on was the fact that I had a passion or I had a desire to, to build or construct something. So first of all, I had the, the ability to do it. I knew what I was doing. And then I learned the steps to go through to set up a business so that after the first time, I want to make sure that I knew how to do it. The single biggest thing I tell any entrepreneur going into business is analyze your risks. Everybody can focus on what you're going to make, but what's it going to cost you? What are you going to sacrifice? Whether it's time with your children, time with your family, uh, 
whatever it is, time golfing. Starting a business, owning a business is going to take a lot of time, a lot of dedication, and you're going to have to invest money, you're going to invest time. Make sure you know what your risks are, what risks you're taking. Contrary to what he says, I don't believe business is for everybody. Oh, no, I, it's not. I no, believe I that you have to be that, have that mindset to do it. My brother couldn't run a business if you put it in front of him. Sorry, I hope you're not listening. But, um, <laughs> but no, it, it's something that there's so much sacrifice that you have to make Man. and so much you have to do to get that business going. You better know what you're getting into before you do it. Let me just say, I, I don't think business is for everyone. However, if you want to get to an area where you are financially comfortable, where you really don't have to worry about the money coming in, uh, I'm not going to say that business is for you. <laughs> but the only way to get to that millionaire status, unless you're a ball player, unless you're an actor or a musician or something crazy like that, is through business or investing. If you're really good at investing is another trade. I'm not, I'm not too versed on that, but I know a lot of people who all they do is invest and they make tons of money but really that's also their own their that's their business is investing so it is not for everyone some people do have to just get a job and do what they can do to survive but uh if you want to get to that next level i think business is the only way i think the, one of the most important thing about um getting involved in business you have to be very passionate you got to have the passion you got to have the strong will in my case, uh, my situation is very unique. I'm not a businessman, but I was forced to be one. I wrote a letter to the late uh, Senator Edward Kennedy in 2004, expressing my grievances to him about what happened to my country, Liberia. I was caught up in the midst of the beginning and the end of a promising future because of some disagreement our lead leader had with the United States. And so I wrote this letter to Senator Kennedy. Later did I know that I would be where I am today. So he responded. He understood my grievances. And he says, all right, Mr. Jackson, you now will have to go back to your country and make a difference. He says, I'll help you. He said, I'll write a letter to the U.S. ambassador in Liberia because I was about to go to Liberia. It was right after the war ended. I was going back to see if I could get my mother out of there. And he wrote this letter to the U.S. ambassador on my behalf. And when I went to Liberia, I met with the ambassador. And we had a um, very interesting conversation. He, at the time, there was election, and I think about 30 or more parties were running. And he asked me, he said, Mr. Jackson, so out of the 30 candidates that are running for president, are, are you supporting any of, the, any of them? I said, no. He said, why? I said, because they are responsible for where my country is. They have to prove to me that they'll do better than anybody else. I said, for me right now, my most concern is to do what I can do to help my fellow countrymen. And he says to me, he says, well, that being the case, Mr. Jackson, this is what the United States would do for your country. We will help to rebuild the infrastructure of the country. We will contribute a considerable amount of money. But it is incumbent upon you, in the, you all in the diaspora, to come back home and rebuild your country. He says, so 
when you leave here, you go back to the diaspora, you want to spread this message that we will support you all. So little did I know that um, that letter that I had written to Senator Kennedy went elsewhere. Then there was an international donor conference at the United Nations. So my brother called me and he says, uh, oh, there's this conference going on. Since you have this connection with Senator Kennedy, I think you should reach out to him and see if he can get you in there so you can attend this conference. I didn't, I took lightly of it. Anyway, I wrote a letter to Senator Kennedy and I explained to him what the conference was about. The conference was about raising $570 million to rebuild Liberia infrastructure to rehabilitate those who were affected by the war. And Senator Kennedy says, sure, I reached out to the Liberian delegation here at the time we had uh, an interim government, and I'll see what uh, my office can do. Two weeks afterward, I got a letter in the mail to say, oh, yeah, Mr. Jackson, you are invited to attend the uh, UN donor conference. And furthermore, you are an advisor to your country. So I said, oh, an advisor. You under that? <laughs> <laughs> I said, an advisor to my country. He said, yes. So the letter said, contact the Liberian consulate in New York, and they will tell you what you will be doing at this conference. And so I contacted the um, consulate in New York, and they said, Mr. Jackson, we are so impressed with your passions, and the Canada's office told us about the letter you wrote, and blah, 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 and said, we would love to have you come and participate in several of the panel and express where you want to see Liberia within the next few years. And so at that conference, I met dignitaries from all over the world. Kofi Annan was then the UN, and everybody got my business card. So expressing my passion to all these people, I went to that conference to represent Liberia, little did I know, Somalia, Ethiopia, Sierra Leone. I was like, I'm this big, you know, dignitary from nowhere. So that's how it started. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, for most of us that don't have that connection, and we still want to make a difference, how, how do we go about it? I mean, I have to traveled us. to Africa, mm -hmm. I've also been in Nigeria, Ghana, um, and I plan to travel to other African nations mm -hmm. to see what exactly, how I can fit myself in those um, nations. nations. Mm -hmm. um, but I always uh, run into the trust issue, um, especially in my country. Um, you know somebody, you think that they're definitely going to um, help support whatever business you start, um, and then you give them money, and then there's stories about somebody died and that money went into whatever that was, and it had no connection or um, relevance to what you're really trying to do for them. And the business is really not to, for you, it's really for the people to have jobs for themselves. Mm -hmm. So how do you go to us? Not the same as other, like a male who's having a conversation with another, um, mm -hmm. yeah, if you know 
So can I can I just repeat that for sure. the? Yeah. All right. So the young lady just asked, um, if she, how how do we get past the trust issue? Is that pretty much the thing where we have situations yeah. where? How do we build it? How do we build networks, and how do we get past the trust issue? So she she mentioned that, you know, sometimes you might uh, you come across a business deal with someone, and you you put up some money to make it happen, and the money vaporizes because you know whatever excuse the person has, and she's over here in America or wherever she is, and her money's over in Africa and it, and it disappears. How do we build up a network that of trustworthy people to do business with? Is that does that okay? Can I add an element? But I also heard. As Curtis Denuda, you are firsthand going to those places, and you also said, I don't have those relationships. I would consider what relationships do you have when you're visiting those places? Because you're not just showing up in a hotel. You know some people, and how can you make those connections? So I want you to listen, because I know Curtis, some of his stories. He wrote that letter to Senator Kennedy from his passion and made that connection, right? I said, Curtis, Chris, I apologize, brothers. <laughs> Chris made, wrote that letter and made that connection through his belief and through that passion that had a story. And we can do that, and there's, you know, there's a process to doing so. In my opening statement, I mentioned that Curtis, John, and I were sacrificial lamb, meaning that we can relate to what you just said. The trust factor has always been an issue. But we've overcome that by creating credible contacts in the public and the private sector. First, you want to get credible contacts in the private sector. Don't just send money to someone in Africa because they're your relative or your friend and you have a, bis a very good business idea. You want to be sure that this person you're sending this money to will really be there to meet your interests because you are in on the ground. You are not there to see this person spend that money to implement what you have sent the money for. So you got to be strategic, very strategic in your relationship, in what kind of business you want to do. You got to find a niche. Make sure that that niche is needed in the country. It's not because, well, you got somebody say, oh, we need uh, a magazine. So this is how much it's going to cost to, to publish this magazine. You got to do your homework, you know? Because if you don't do your homework, then you'll be where you are. Now, the purpose of us being here is to, is to rectify those kinds of issues among ourselves, because that's the only way we will be able to get a piece of the pie, not just China and Japan. Okay? That's what we are here for. That should be in the past. Let us work together as Africans. Let us put aside our ethnic, religious, or uh, uh, whatever differences. The, the, the tribal, there you go. Okay? Because that is what is hurting the continent. Divide and conquer. Okay? All of us are in the same boat. All of us mean well. You came here tonight because you want to learn something. You want to do something more meaningful with your life. And so that's why we are all here for. We all have passions. We all have visions. 
But in order for us to see those visions come to fulfillment, we have to work together. We cannot be um, skeptical about each other. I hope I answer your question. I think can, I did. Can I just add, uh, add one thing to that? So I know businesses, business around the world in general is still just businesses, basically trade. Whenever I'm dealing with someone where I need to give them a, a, a bunch of money, so I deal with a lot of contractors daily. All I do is deal with contractors. I need to know a much, as much about what that guy is doing as possible. Maybe I'm not going to do the work, but I need to know what he's doing from every step of what he's doing so he can't overcharge me or tell me it's going to take three days longer than it's really going to take or whatever. It is. Every business is, is pretty much very similar. You need to know what the guy on the other end is doing. If you're paying them for a service, you're going to give them some money. Know what they're going to, doing, going to be doing step by step. Now, that doesn't mean you need to have a PhD in it or anything. Just verse yourself on whatever. So if he's saying, hey, uh, I want to start a shea butter farm or whatever it is. Like it, these are the things I hear about people going after. Hey, I want to buy some land. I want to start a shea butter, whatever it is. Um, know what it entails to do that kind of stuff. Not that oh, you're just going to be like, okay, hey, I got 10 G's. Here you go. Make it happen. You got to know exactly what they're doing step by step. Otherwise, you're putting yourself in a bad position. You never want to be in a bad position in business. You always want to have be on equal footing or have an upper hand. If you're just handing somebody your money, that's really all you're going to be good for, is handing them your money. So you just, the, the other side to what they're saying, all everything that they're saying is correct, but educate yourself on exactly what they're doing and try to verse yourself on what they're doing step by step and test them. So once you know it, you talk to them, okay, well, are you going to do this? You're going to do A, B, and C? Okay, after C, what are you going to do? How long is it going to take you to do that? You know, that kind of stuff. And then you get commitments, and obviously you get stuff in writing and all that other stuff. But the first step is education on what they're doing. If I might respond as well, and um, <clears throat> a lot has been said on the subject. When I began my work, and I'm working in Kenya and different parts of, of, of Africa, um, I met a gentleman at an auto dealer. He told me he was from the country. He then introduced me to another gentleman who was connected in the country. So all of us know someone who knows someone who knows someone, so that's really what you're saying to me. I knew someone who knew someone who knew. However, this person really was who he said he was. What that required of me, though, is it required the sacrifice that John talked about. It required me putting up my resources, putting up my time, and putting up everything that I had to go do the job. I have one of my partners living in the country, so we opened the business in the country because we needed to have that relationship. So the discussion that we're having here today is we're separated. It's like a hand wide open where none of the fingers are connecting versus a fist with a punch. We need a punch. We are now in a position that we have the right people in the right places to do it, but we keep going after it as individuals. You cannot succeed in Africa as an individual. Right. It's not going to happen. Yeah. It took us five years to meet governors, to meet different um, uh, municipal um, uh, MPs and, and people in charge. They're making decisions every day. There are tenders or contracts on the table every single day, but it requires that you have the right team. John is my engineer. He wasn't my engineer when I started, but he has the skills that I can't do without. I met a gentleman today, Michael, who's into uh, uh, um, cybersecurity and ICT. 
That's what I need. We've got contract possibilities, but we can't go after them until we have the team. So everyone in our, that I've been, been in talking to, they want to do it individually. And they cannot afford to play the game. I'm competing against China. You understand what that means? I'm competing against Germany and France and Italy, and I could go down the list. Every colonizer who has ever been there is back. They're taking back the land, they're taking back the resources. In Kenya, for example, they did the Standard Gauge Railroad. Who runs the Standard Gauge Railroad? The Chinese. What happens if the Standard Gauge Railroad fails? The Chinese get to own, through a recourse loan, other properties. They're now taking the port of Mombasa, which is the central avenue to get products into East Africa. They've got Zambia. They've taken countries and they're taking them by resources. We continue to believe that it's going to be entrepreneurial. We're going to go in as a little bank. I cannot compete with a suitcase of $20 million. I don't have it. I don't pay off. We don't do bribes. We don't do the things that other countries are willing to do. And that's going to be a challenge. So when you put money out there and you send it to someone, which we have and we lost, you take risks. So my point in that is have the right team, trust in some partners, there's some great networks, this being one of them. We're looking for people who are serious about doing business and want to put the time and effort in to getting success, not to spend five years. You don't need to spend the same five years I did trying to get in. I'm giving you an open door that says you walk in the door with me and we close the door together yeah. instead of you waiting and trying to figure out which key unlocks the door. So that, that would be in, in my response as the same. No, uh, can I, I just, I have a quick, quick answer. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you my opinion. You don't do any business in Africa unless you're in Africa. Okay, or you have a partner who's there for you that you trust completely. I've put money in people's hands and never seen them again. Okay, you can't just go by what people say, it has to be total trust. And if you can't be there to manage it, you better know who is. In my own country, we've we've a simple thing like an ice cream business. Okay, set up an ice cream business running great. My cousin comes back here for three months. He goes back. The equipment's gone. The money's gone. The, the, there's debt that has to be paid because they never paid it. They took every penny to come in. And these were people we knew. Wow. Okay? So you have to trust those people explicitly or you have to be there watching every dollar. Okay? You need to protect yourself. Having said that, these comments going all the way back to 
I think I'm going to set this up for Gilbert. So can I, uh, let me encourage to hear um, to that for Curtis and Chris, Curtis, to make a comment, because if you listen to the podcast, because it's an interesting dynamic between the government and China, because I'm not mad at China. China's doing what's in its best interest the way China gets down, like the U.S. does what's in its best interest. But are the African governance the leadership the people and the citizenry are they in their best interest that's a question that so let, let me just in. repeat her question for Please the do. for the listeners um so to power phrase she wanted to want she was trying to find out what is this weird relationship between china and africa is is china to blame by just taking advantage or is it african leaders who are allowing them to take advantage um I think Curtis would be really good to answer that, or um, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot your brother John. Gabriel, oh, Gabriel too. Before we do that, real quick, uh, I just want to share, real quick, to answer that, uh, fine. Um, so that's the same concern that right now, I don't know, because when we, while we focus on the China African relationship and all that, you can share the blame, you can share the blame around, but there's a subculture right now between young African entrepreneurs. 
working together with young Chinese entrepreneur in Beijing. I have a couple of clients with a Chinese documentary filmmaker there. So, well, we're he's not concerned that, and he's not concerned that, you know, you can, you can try to share the way, but at the same time, people want to build on each other uh, regardless. Because my client shared to me, she said, it's the same concern that they have because the world is so much global. People travel globally. People understand everything that Mr. Jackson shared about everybody in Africa. But there are people that are really because even the young children, the young Chinese people in Beijing, I kind of fed up with the fact that, you know, there's this war going on, but no one is connected with each other. So, you know, go ahead. I know we want to can, can I just interject real quick? I'm sorry. Working together is just doing business. I think she's talking about Chinese coming in, just taking everything out, keeping only only their workers there. How how are they able to do this? That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Like, the government's the first link. Yeah. Same thing in Congress. So I was in Congress, it was the same thing because I was mad, getting mad, and everybody in my wife was calling, coming, calm, like, calm down because the government is the first person to blame because you allow all this, con all this contract across the continent the government does not invest in local business. So what happened, when I walked into the Chinese store in Congo, the manager speaking to God, right, mistreating the Congolese entrepreneur. I was mad. I said, no, you're not going to have, I said, no. well, the funny thing is I use my American, you know, like, hey, I'm going to come as American. We American bravado. Issue right now. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So the first place is the government because in Congo, it's the same thing in Congo. So I'm like, whoa. Who's to blame? It's overwhelming. And then the second part is, okay, after you've been the government, what can you do? Because, and then for this either, as a strategy, build a relationship with these Chinese owner because they're the one who can bring access from the government to the business, while a Congolese local person who never set foot outside of Congo cannot really bloom, you know, on the entrepreneurship scene. While you're in the diaspora now, so the strategy is like, how can you build here with the local demand from there, right? And and have a different um, engagement strategy and power to trust. But it's overwhelming with that. The government could be the Let me comment. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. So uh, as, a, as a quick quick comment, um, this is a thing called the Red Dawn. And the Red Dawn is this China's strategy for exporting its people. China is being destroyed by chemicals, the air, the food. If I look at it just from the Africa, Africa has the most resources in the world. The world is suffering from global warming. There is going to come a time when there is no one with food except Africa. So you should understand that the process is one that is strategic and long term. The key piece is that there's investment. When, Africa go, when China goes to Africa, they make an investment in the country. You can't blame them. It's a good business, okay? Americans are making investment, but they're multinational corporations, and it's a different, and how that works. I'm talking about the local entrepreneurial, young entrepreneurs like yourself that want to see a future. How do you go in? You must go in. You must create your own businesses. To the level that you will impact that market is going to be a challenge. An example, when they built the Standard Gauge Railroad, 
They brought in people from the prison to do the work. That's who's getting the jobs in Kenya. The prisoners. Not Chinese Chinese prisoners. prisoners. Not the people local. So China brought in Chinese prisoners. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it is those kind of issues that we're, we're up against as a group. It is knowing that the process is big. It, it, it deals with governments at the highest level when the president sits. These are presidential and governatorial, gubernatorial discussions, and they're taking place every day. When a bid comes out for you to look at a tender, which is a contract, you need to have your stuff in order. If you have it in order, you may compete, but the reality says is there's some things that are just too big that you won't get access to, and that's where the numbers come in with thousands and thousands of people coming into the country taking advantage. There are other issues that whenever we show a weakness, they show a strength. They identify your weakness, they bring in the resources to support your weakness, and then they're offering you opportunity. It's good business. Uh, It's not about China, it's about how we as a nation, how we as a people go back home and understand that millions of girls in Africa do not have an education. They won't see a computer. They won't know what it's like to go to the doctor. Those are the things that are real and our effort has to be about how do we change that culture to allow us, as we said, one hand, one group, moving forward, together to solve problems. Sorry. Uh, Can I ask Gilbert to make a question on that from an investor standpoint? Because sometimes you gotta look at it, there's geopolitical, there's government, there's local, but there's also money. And how do you see it as an investor? Because you need to look at it at all these different lenses, because the different groups have their own perspective. And if you're looking at it from those different lenses, you may find a niche for yourself. Let me, let me just say something and then because it's going to impact what he has to say. If you're going to do business in Africa, you need to bring your money. The Chinese bring their money. They bring extra money. Okay? Also in many countries, and I don't want to say all countries, you have very corrupt people running it. And if you put money in their pocket, you get what you want. If you're a U.S. citizen, you go to Africa to do business, you can't do that. You end up in jail. So there's a big advantage for the Chinese, and, and you know, their laws say it's okay. So I'm not saying it's bad what they're doing, and the laws in, in many of these countries allow the politicians to take money. But you have to end corruption, and you have to make it an even field for everybody, okay? What we're trying to use now to help us with what we're trying to do is leverage the money the U.S. has given to these countries. So we work with the uh, political system, with the um, ambassadors, so they know where we're going and who we're dealing with. And that keeps them from not trying to corrupt us. So. Go ahead, Yeah, after here, brother. All right, so just to add to what everybody else has been saying, I, I think if you look at the, uh, you know, the trend in the conversation, one thing that is common is money, 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 whether it's coming in suitcases or you go in, they go into your government to get that, it's all about the money, right? 
And for people like yourself starting businesses or even people on the continent starting businesses, I think the biggest piece here that we're missing is the capital, right? And the reason why I say the capital, because if you're going to start a business, right, you need money, right? However, we, we don't have access to capital on the continent, right? And this is why, let's say if he was a government official, right, and you're trying to start a business, right, you can go to him and bribe him and to get that deal quicker. The Chinese can go to him and get the money quicker. While you, on the other hand, you know, the small business is left, you know, hanging. Like, hey, I'm trying to compete here, but I don't have the money, right? Now, to look at this on a, what I call the economic standpoint, we know that every developed country or even developing country is run on small businesses. And that being the essence of, you know, every, every economy that is this, I think it, this is why this is so important that people like yourself need to go back and start businesses there. However, we know that the, the challenges is actually revolves, revolves around money. And this is why I'm actually involved in certain uh, initiatives here to you know, start venture capital, to actually fund small entrepreneurs that are starting businesses on the continent, whether it's through the African venture capital or there's also other uh, initiatives springing up called IDEA, uh, African Engaging, uh, uh, African un in the diaspora to actually be able to fund people like yourself start, starting small businesses because we believe I honestly believe and this is what I'm passionate about that capital and small businesses you know African being able to fund themselves will be the, the key to economic development in our, on our continent whether it's country specific or the continent as a whole and we don't have access to that just recently right I think it was yeah, a week, last week ago, the biggest private equity company, uh, KKR, right, and Blackstone, they just pulled out of Africa, right? They pulled out, right? That's $2.5 billion <laughs> capital you're looking at that just left, right? And because they don't understand the market. <laughs> so, a, a, again, just to, to, to take this home, I, I think we, we, we can point fingers here to the government, to the, uh, the Chinese people that are coming until we're able to empower the small businesses and people, not just small businesses, small medium sized enterprises, we're not going to be able to compete. We can point fingers here and there and there. Uh, if, we don't, if we don't do that, we're gonna keep complaining, 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 and that's gonna get us nowhere. And, and for me, I think that's the, that's the bigger picture that we need to look at.
you know, volunteer so much, they have to be paid. Right. So how do you find, like, what is the best option that people mm -hmm. um, take loans, get money from family members or friends, go fund me? Um, what I'm kind of doing now is uh, working, you know, weekend job to pay for some of the stuff I'm trying to do. Like, what is the best way to get funding? So the gentleman asked, you know, what is the best way to fund your endeavors, your various endeavors, um, whether it's podcasts like this, if you wanted to start a podcast, I can, I can answer that because that's what I did. Um, and, um, you know, it, business endeavors in general, whether it's the copywriting, the licensing, all that stuff, it all costs money. And if you're not balling out of control and, you you know, these things cost $500 a pop, $1,000 a pop, $2,000 a pop, that kind of thing, how do you get started? Do you take a loan? Um, so for this podcast, I'll just I'll, I'll answer the first part and I'll let these gentlemen do that. So I am not a wealthy man. I have seven children. I'm married. Um, I, my, my finances are tight. Now, we, we're all right. We're not broke as hell or nothing, but we, we you know, we, I don't. Like all this stuff, I kind of just pieced together over time. So it started out with just two mics. I did a whole lot of YouTube research to find out what the best mic slash cheapest mic was at that time. And then um, I found out this, this board was the best at that time. And then, you know, a lot of the stuff has been upgraded over, over the year that I've been doing this. But I, I basically started out with uh, a tax return and took, invested like, maybe like $800 in equipment because I really believed that it was work and I really wanted to do something like this. Um, now all this stuff together is probably, you know, a few grand, but um, that's how I started out. And a lot of people underestimate the value of a tax return and maybe paying a little extra into your, into your taxes, like through your paycheck or whatever, if you're not self-employed yet, um, to make sure that you have something coming back to you. And then that little nugget of money that you have like really do something with it like don't try to get a ps4 pro or nothing like that like really try to like not 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 based on you know something you always wanted for your comfort something you always wanted to do for your advancement and then really build off of that and you have to like train yourself into that mindset i've, I've been in that situation where i've had like multiple jobs at the same time and, and I've, I've also had businesses and a lot of stuff going on at the same time but i've never been um financially uh, secure until I got married and I realized, hey, I need to have some money here because like everybody, like I got, I got four daughters and three boys, right? Like just so many clothes and hair creams and like just, just stuff, like all the time, literally, I'm talking about like literally, like we'll spend a thousand dollars and it's like nothing, it just, it's gone. So I had to really learn how to make the most out of every dollar. So it's sort of like a mental training. So when you get a nice, everybody gets a nice piece of money every once in a while, at least once a year, someone you get, you get something. Instead of getting it on something that, you know, is just gonna go away like a vacation or a TV or something like that, put it towards something that you know can help you build something. Um, and that's what I did to help start this podcast. All right, so for the rest of that, I'll let you guys answer it. Okay. Right. Idea system. Okay. Leonard. Yes, no, I want to. I want to answer your question. I, oh, okay. Yeah. What, what? The question that you asked earlier, the um, was it China you talking the, about? Yeah. The, okay. the Chinese president made a a comment just before the end of last year. He said, "People are blaming China for coming into Africa and doing business with the African government." He says, 
it is not our responsibility if the African people decides to, to elect a corrupt president. Okay? Mm. All right? Now, here's the other thing. Mm. Yes, China has suitcases of money. But there are certain things that China is lacking when it comes to the continent of Africa. When the Chinese come into Africa, they bring everybody. They disenfranchise the local people. That's a weakness right there. Okay? Now, we are the alternative to that. For typical example, John and I have a project, two projects pending right now before the Liberian government. I made it clear to one of the president's top advisors that we were not going to bribe anybody because we've been there many times, okay? And I said, you all know the magnitude of these projects. We're coming to do what the Chinese aren't doing. We're coming to create employment opportunities for the people. We are coming to help the people because we can identify with the people. Not just because of how much money we're going to make. We're going to do some humanitarian, we're going to involve humanitarian gesture. So I say that to say we have the alternative to counter what the Chinese are doing despite how much money they're bringing into Africa. But we have to come together again to make this happen. There are many African venture capital funds that are popping up here and there. Because people have come to the realization that, listen, we cannot compete with the Chinese. We cannot compete with the Japanese. We cannot compete with the Russians. However, Africans in the diaspora, we have the resources. The problem is that we have our priority twisted. Why is that? Because we are so freaking divided. It is not impossible that we cannot do just as much as the Chinese have done. I brought this magazine because I knew this question would come up. China have, this was published in 2009, $12 trillion. They're not just in Africa, they're all over the freaking world. Okay, but the, the rest of the world, they know how to negotiate with the Chinese. When it comes to Africa, because of the corrupt leaders, the electorate have elected, the masses are, are at a disadvantage. So, the alternative, the solution, lies with the diaspora community. Can I ask you guys a question, uh, just to piggyback on that? So, when we talk about trillions of dollars, like I can't even imagine what a pallet of that looks like. Like, I mean, I must be the side of a, a room of just hundreds or something. I don't even know. It's, it's a lot. But when, we, when we're talking about that kind of money, we have to look at what causes corruption in the first place. All right, so what causes corruption in Africa? It's usually poverty. It's not just, just black guys are evil. It's not just that. No, they're, they're, they're corrupt because they're, they're usually coming out of poverty and they're, they're, they just don't want to go back to it. Same thing we have here in you know, African-Americans. Why do our, you know, our uh, hip-hop artists go out and sell themselves to the devil and go rap about you know, hoes and drugs and money? Uh, not all of them, but I'm just saying, mm. you know, a lot of them. And really, a lot of them, like I know a lot, I actually know rappers personally who are actually extremely good artists, but once they get to a certain point, they start just doing hoes, drugs, and money, 
and then they'll make like one one song on the album about growing up hood and you know all poor struggles and all that kind of stuff and then the rest of it is just a bunch of nonsense why is that it's because then not going back to that damn that son i'm not going back to that kind of life so i'll do whatever i gotta do right, to right. stay here so when you talk about trillions of dollars like that 12 trillion dollars like that's crazy I would wager that China and whatever other company countries are there have a have an interest in keeping it corrupt and keeping the politics messed up so that they can keep buying the I'm sorry to invade your personal yeah, space yeah. here I apologize uh, so um, I don't think it's just as simple uh, as just corrupt leaders I bet these countries are also keeping it like that. Mm -hmm. And there, there's also a battle that we would have to fight on that front. Mm -hmm. You know, I, would you guys agree or? Yes. Well, yeah. Well, maybe not. No, so, no okay. No, so I'd like to hear. No, I, no, I'm, so I'm, this, the, so I'm learning, but I'm just. Poor, yeah. The poor, the yeah. poor are the nicest, best people you're ever gonna meet in your life in okay. Africa. Yeah. I don't care which country I was in. Mm. They would give you what they have yeah. if they thought that that you were a decent person. People who are corrupt, some of them are the richest people in the world, and they can't get enough, mm. okay? I've sat, and I, I gotta be careful what I say, I've sat with people who have so much power, and it's all because they keep it corrupt and they keep that system so that they keep money coming to them, mm. okay? They walk away, they look away when when somebody wants to do something. So I think it's something, it's been educated, it's been trained, it's been taught. It's the African way of doing business and they believe that, yeah. okay? The youth, the young people coming into power now are starting to change that, okay? They recognize that if John's gonna come here and create 100 jobs in one town and, and that's gonna feed not just 100 people, it's gonna feed 100 families, 200 families, Maybe that's a good thing, okay? Mm. But it comes from the younger generation, the people who are starting to come into power. So I, I think. Yeah. We actually out of time. I don't want you know. I'm done. I won't say another. Just so everyone know, what we trying to do post this. This is some serious stuff. We did not just come here and go home and that's it. I mean, we make a lot of sacrifice as a team to kind of come together. So I go when we're going to be doing it. Please leave your business card or take my card. You're going to have access to this guy. Go. But a message to the community for, first of all, give it up for all yourself. Come down. Give it up for all So if you want to coach serious African stars from personal wellness, business development, and also strategy in terms of how to get access so we're going to be offering curriculum and coaching in terms of that, everything that's been talked about tonight. So imagine everything that's been talked about tonight in the series of um, workshop, in the series of really building and understanding. While you're all sitting, you also need to tell your story to that podcast. Because eventually, the strategy is at the end of the day is that we got to have each other back. So this is a wealth knowledge of people. Now, our message to the community tonight is that we are looking for serious African star in order to kind of package all of that. And uh, we'll be going to be hosting an African Business Conference 
where we're strictly going to investors, business leaders, and you know the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. But in the meantime, we have to start locally community. So don't worry about these guys you're gonna have access to them. I want to encourage everybody who attended tonight to reach out. Reach out to me. They all on my website. There's also a lot of women on my website because it's a team, because it's a balance, you know. We have access to the expert. I have access to an expert about China-Africa relationship, right? So many experts. But we want to be able to speak to the audience in terms of so many talented African startups in the state of Massachusetts. We over 100,000 African community. I know all the African communities here, but we need to build the African startup diaspora. So get in contact. All we care right now is to understand on a one-on-one level your goals, what do you want to do, and then we're going to pack this all. Because we have two audiences. We have the African startup community entrepreneur, and we have the investors, the business leader, space like WeWork, right? We want to collaborate with, with us. Shout out to WeWork. Thank you for coming. Um, these gentlemen are really, you know, treasuring for all of us, including all of you as well. And please repeat after me, the gift that you have, well, thank you for joining us on the Not Done podcast. Uh, we this is the well, this is our fourth doing business in Africa. Um, feel free to follow us on Instagram at the Not Done Podcast, Twitter the Not Done Podcast, Gmail the Not Done Podcast at gmail.com guys have any final words? Uh, that is an excellent jacket, sir. Speak up. <laughs> yeah. My name is Mike Mitchell. I work in cybersecurity and mm-hmm. uh, what brought me to this meeting is because I um, want to focus on African um, uh, digital transformation. Um, some of the biggest problems that Africa has is that most Africans don't have an identity uh, card, so like a federal ID card. So they can't open up a bank account, so they can't do business. So the objective is to kind of close that, that gap uh, through digital Hmm. And I enjoyed this meeting. I've um, been looking forward to uh, joining a meeting like this. And in Boston, don't really have anything like this. Um, also, want to focus on that fact that black men are the most disenfranchised groups in this country. Absolutely. Out of all groups of people, they're the most disenfranchised. You know, uh, we get discriminated against for business loans, mm-hmm. uh, job opportunities. I'm going to that. That's a great comment. There so we interviewed the uh, presidential candidate for Nigeria, who I always bring up, uh, Chike Ukebu, um, two months ago. And he let us know that the purchasing power by African-Americans in the U.S. alone, not if you mentioned Africans throughout the diaspora, is one of the lo- greater than any GDP in an African country. So when, when you're saying we have the ability to do it, if we change a percentage 
yeah. small percentage of our personal buying habits to go. Yeah. Um, so the statement Versace down to the socks. If there's African fashion, I should have my socks, my socks or whatever thing. Changing our buying habits would be impactful to transforming the business environment in Africa because you're doing so through trade and now you're stimulating business and it's something that the Chinese and Russians are not doing because we're buying from our community. However, you can learn the Chinese did do it in the US because the Chinese diasporas that came here did business back home in China and they grew. The Irish did it. The Jews did it. A variety of different groups. The African Americans have not done it to that degree. We're literally the we, only ones who haven't. Yeah, because we didn't Basically. see each other's together. We need to take that slave golden triangle and reverse it Dang. and bring that money back to our continent. <laughs> and, and just to elaborate on what this young brother said, it's, it's, not, just, it's yeah. not just black men. It's also black women who are highly disenfranchised. But the, the difference between black men and black women is Black women aren't typically, because black women are also, if you look at statistically, they're becoming the, the most highest educated group in America. Right. They're getting degrees and everything. But what's stopping black men is not just, okay, I, don't, I didn't see that many black, there was a ton of black women here. But we're, we're also seen, seen as a threat. Yeah. Black women aren't necessarily seen as a threat. So when they, when they try to uh, work their way up the corporate ladder, um, you know, get, getting better, you know, getting into better situations financially, uh, uh, business-wise, corporate-wise, whatever, there's still that, um, that backdrop of them just being a woman at the end of the day. Whereas guys, we still have to take a lead. So this is why we also need to start businesses as well. Because yeah. you're not going to get up to the top of GE <laughs> and um, uh, Warner Brothers and Disney. It's not going to happen. You can work your way up. You might get a nice position. But to really get to the top of the ladder, you really have to build your own. We're seen as a threat just because we're men. That's literally what it is, you know. And then, you know, if 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 this was like the the buying power just in this room alone, right? Nobody in here is crazy crazy wealthy. But if we were to really work together and, and build something, I know we got to wrap this up. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, no. yeah, yeah. But if we were really build, we could really make something happen. Like it doesn't take as much as. You think it doesn't take three thousand people to make some crazy Fortune 500 company. It really just takes dedicated. You could you can make a Fortune 500 company with 10, 10, 20 people. Look how Lyft was started. Look how Uber was started. Right? They're just people who just really work together and built their thing from the ground up, and it turns in and it blossoms. Okay, but they stuck together. That's really all it is. So I I just think you're right. Black men are disenfranchised, but it's also black women. But the difference is what keeps us at the bottom and. Black women are just right on top of that is because we're seen as a threat and we're kept down. You're not going to get the promotion that you, somebody else. Like, I've been promoted over so many times, it's ridiculous. I've been. Go ahead. Do you want to say I something? I don't want to disagree with you, but the Economic Policy Institute ran the numbers last year. Mm -hmm. No, I'm agreeing with you. No, no, I am agreeing with you, but I, I don't want to knock because black women are also. They get, they get a bad too. Not, not to the extent that black women. Black men. But, sure but I just want. I agree. I'm agreeing, but I just wanted to make that difference of what the, what exactly is keeping us right underneath is literally just that threat factor. Hey, uh, hey. But we could, we could go on for like four no, more hours. No, I mean this is what we want is passionate. And by the way, uh, I work with other incarcerated black men. I work with other prisons. You know, it's deep. I'm talking about the 
All right. All right. Let's wrap it up. So, everybody, let's thank you for coming to the Not Dumb podcast and this program. We're probably going to have to edit this on the, the end. Yeah, man, we could do this. It's actually not that bad. We're at about an hour and 49. That's short. Oh, that's short for us. That's short for us. We can make that happen. All right, so it's been a pleasure, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Um, one. One.